come and just worship the Lord and just spend time in His presence. Because it is about Him. It's not about us. And, you know, to give Him the highest praise. As we were singing that, I thought, Lord, what is, your, what is the highest praise? What, what can I give you that's the highest? And, you know, I just felt that thing of, of you know, what's shouting the loudest in your thoughts, really? And uh, that was humbling for me because I think, you know, the, the, the scripture says, you know, we need to bring down every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And that can be even worries. It can be, you know, those things can shout louder than our praises to Him or our fears or even our joys of things that are worldly. You know, those things can shout louder. But, but really, as we come into this place, it's like those things need to be leveled as Jesus is lifted up and nothing exalts more than that. And uh, so that's... That's why we're here. That's why we come together and we do it corporately. And God inhabits the praises of His people. Um, so yeah, I just felt tonight just to talk a little bit about evangelism. <laughs> uh, but engaging our culture today. And I, 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 it's one of those things, just realize, you know, it's, it's one of those muscles I think we always need to develop in the life of the church and in ourselves, and myself included. Um, is how do we engage in our culture that we're in? And, uh, and like I say, Jonathan Conroth is going to be coming. And I, I think we can learn from that. You know, someone who carries the gift of evangelism, I want to come and just take what they have and learn from them. And, and so, but also use it as an opportunity to bring the lost. So if you've got unsaved friends, bring them. It's not about a guy. Here, here are a heart. It's about the gift that God uses in the person. So we're not exalting man up here, it's, it's, it's acknowledging God's administered gifts within the church. To some he gave apostles, to some prophets, to some teachers, and to some evangelists. And, uh, and so that's what we acknowledge. And uh, so yeah, I want to encourage you guys. But um, yeah, I just felt, you know, one of the things in evangelism, you know, I've been like even wrestling, God, how, your, your word is supernatural. It really is. The gospel is supernatural. You know, the Bible talks about this, the seed, which is the, the alien element, really, to the soil that we call to throw out and to, to cast to the lost, to bring the gospel to. And it's a, it's, a, it's a supernatural thing, but yet I felt in that, if I look at the life of Jesus, it was supernatural, but He was natural. You know, in, in how He approached people, in how He connected with people. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people... You know, that are very gifted in the Word. And, uh, and they can expound on the Word and they can read it. And, and, but that in itself can also be, as they take the Word, I've no, I've, I've, especially teachers, I've noticed this about teachers, um, as, as they're amazing with exp, you know, expounding on the Word. But, but when it comes to relating to people, sometimes there's a loss, there's like a, a disconnection, and, and, it, and it looks unnatural. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, I, you know, I've, I've recognized when I'm with certain guys, there's like a, it's like a flaky way of pre presenting the gospel uh, that doesn't look natural. And what I want to say is in that, you know, you know, Jesus came, the Word became flesh. Why? So that we could identify with Him. And uh, we're not here to be this, look like this supernatural unnatural thing as we bring the gospel. The gospel, you see, it, it's a, I believe this. I believe it's the Holy Spirit working through us, which is supernatural. But I do believe that there's a natural skill that we can even learn in that. Okay? So I want to say this about evangelism. 
uh, is that we work with, we, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says that we co-labor with God. So it's not just a supernatural thing, but it's a, a natural thing, but we co-labor with God in doing this. So Because you, you might say, well, Benny, isn't it just the work of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it is. But it's the Holy Spirit working through you, okay? Which means people got to relate, they got to connect. There's a connection in that. And your life becomes that testimony that you can speak the gospel through. And so in Luke 12, verses 12, it says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so tonight, I don't want to bring techniques and formulas of how to bring the gospel, but I do want to bring a principle tonight. Because the thing with formulas, we can become so boxed in to a way and say, well, this is how it's got to be. And if it doesn't go A, B, C, D, then you, you've lost the plot. No. So I want to talk about principles of connecting with people and engaging in our culture. Okay. So, because I think, yeah, as we begin to look at Scripture, and I'm going to be focusing, you don't have to turn there yet, Renee, but X, I'm going to be focusing on Acts 17, and I'm going to be focusing from verse 22 to 31. And there's going to be some points that I want to talk about just in this. Uh, because as I've been, yeah, just as I've been preparing my heart for this, <clears throat> I just want to find it quickly. Um, just some principles that I feel, as I, I've been reading the scripture of Paul uh, when he goes to Athens, there were certain things that stood out to me, and I want to highlight five points or four points uh, in, in our discernment towards engaging in the, with the culture. The first thing is, is our discernment with the times and our discernment with the objects of worship, what people worship, our discernment with their professed ignorance and God's love. And I'll get there as we, we go through it. But I just want to kind of bring a little bit of a, uh, yeah, a heading <laughs> Now, I want to say this about evangelism. Evangelism isn't just you having answers to people's questions. Okay? Sometimes it's about you having questions to people's answers. Sometimes it's about you having questions to their questions. And we need to break a mindset. Sometimes we, we think in a way, we think, okay, I've just got to give the answer. But you know what? Sometimes people aren't looking for the answer because they think they've got the answer. And that's where the question comes in, so importantly. And we see that in the life of Jesus, how many times he answers a question with a question. Why? To get people to open up with their own assumptions. Because that's what a question does. There's assumptions in it. And when Jesus answers the question, he gets the, uh, the questioner to open up what's really in him. What's those assumptions? What made him say what he said? Or ask what he asked? And, uh, and so every question is loaded with assumptions. And we see how part of our spreading the gospel isn't, and I want, don't get confused with this as a, being a motivational thing. <laughs> the gospel isn't about motivating people. Okay, I want you to understand that because partly what, you know, what people believe is wrong. So to motivate someone, you might be motivating them to carry on doing what they're doing. Okay, so sometimes we've got to get into the root of where people are at. And, uh, and sometimes, can I say, this is why I say it's not motivational the gospel is about the gospel. It's about bringing people to salvation. But sometimes to do that, we need to not only build up, we need to break down. And we see that in Jeremiah 1 verses 9 to 10, when the Lord gave him the word. He says, well, let me read it quick. 
Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my, my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, and then it's to build and to plant. So yeah, that is basically what we do in the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. For what? For pulling down strongholds. And uh, it's important that we understand that. And so the, the things we need to understand first is discerning the times that we're in. You know, in 1 Chronicles 12, verses 32, Israel, there was a tribe of Israel uh, called Issachar. And they were known as a people that could discern. Well, let me read it. Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and their brethren were at their command. So these are a group of people that understood the times that they were in. And they would tell Israel how to go forth. And Paul says the same thing to 2 Timothy 4 verses 2. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And Paul says to Timothy, you know, you, you need to be ready. When you give the gospel, I always used to read that scripture means I've got to have a preach at the back of my pocket, be ready. But that's not exactly what Paul's saying. I believe we should always be ready to give the gospel. But what Paul's saying is, look, Timothy, there's going to be times where it's going to be seasonal, and there's going to be times that it's not going to be seasonal. It's the time in which you bring that word, it's going to be either you know, shunned or it's going to be embraced, really. And, but to be ready, to be ready for that. And I don't want to be just negative because sometimes we don't always see when the heavens are open and people are really receptive. And we've had that. We've had that at times where someone is just so hungry for the Lord. But do you discern that in the moment? To say, that person is hungry. I need to give them the gospel. Now the, the heavens have opened for that person. And so we need to discern the time. And uh, when I think of discerning the time, I don't believe it's just times in a um, chronological way. Sometimes discerning the time is discerning the people to which you're addressing. I want to explain this to you because if you think of it, hey, every generation is brought up in a certain time. The world recognizes this. Remember the, the baby boomer generation? That's Bob's generation. They are the people that were born between 1946 and 1964. Am I right, Bob? You're in that category. Barbara says, no, it's just after you, you're just before you. Okay. And then the Generation X, they're born from 1965 to 1980. That's my generation. Who else is in that generation? Come on, Gina, put up your hand. Oh, sorry. <laughs> then it's the, the millennial generation. The Generation Y, between 1981 to 1996. Oh, sorry, that's Gina's. Then there's Generation Z, and they're from 1997 to 2010. Yeah, that's my boy's uh, time as well. But you know, each generation were brought up in a certain belief system. Each generation were brought up with certain things that kind of molded their, their way of thinking. So Bob's generation probably be, would have been more the radio. Am I right, Bob? My generation would have been more the TV and even the content on the TV, how much. Stephen's generation would have probably been the internet. It came out then already starting. Noah's generation would have been the mobile phone, you know, and those kind of things. But, but those things shape us, whether you like it or not. They shape a certain way of thinking. I mean, if, if I were to... 
try and make myself look cool and, and you know, go to Noah's generation and they see I've got Facebook, they, they're going to look at even the apps that I've got are not something they would have. You probably don't find Facebook on their apps. They had probably Instagram and TikTok and all those things. So, uh, you know, what I'm saying is th there's, a, there's, a, there's a generation of people that are in a season in themselves. And they've been formed and molded. And so, to me, when Paul says, you know, look at the season, it's, it's kind of like look at the season, look at the people that you're engaging with. And uh, there is a sense of hearing this. So, we, like I say, we're not just working on technique, but there is a principle in this. It's knowing the season. And it's working with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, uh, says in Timothy, there will be a time and a season that they will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know, they, would, they won't endure. It means they're not going to wrestle. They're not going to be a people that are going to weigh this thing up and wrestle. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, scary to think that we're going to have a generation of people like that. They're not going to wrestle with things. And... Uh, I was just thinking about the Generation Z. <laughs> Often wondered, what did that stand for? Zombies, you know? Like, no, it actually stands for Zoomers. But, but, um, but, you know, we really got to be dependent on the Spirit, not just our reasoning or our intellect. We have to depend on the Spirit to engage in a culture because we call to engage with our youth too. Church, we have to do that. We have to hear the Spirit. These guys need Jesus, desperately so. And uh, yeah, if I look at this Generation Z, it's not only rewriting. Have you ever noticed, if you look at what's happening in the news now, it's like culture's changing, and it's changing drastically fast. And have you noticed that? And it's not only, they're not only rewriting culture, they're rewriting history, they're rewriting, even our dictionaries are changing. I mean, pronouns and all these things are like, what's what? How do you reason with that culture? How do you engage with that culture? Really, because there, there, there's a sense in which, oh, you know, you realize in this that, you know, I, I was even watching the news how in universities when the, when the people would come and they would have debates, even those things are starting to become shunned out the universities where there's no place for you to engage in, in certain philosophies or theologies. Like the freedom of speech is just gone. That is the culture that we're in. In fact, the word, you know the word university actually comes from unity in diversity. Universities aren't universities anymore, they're uniformities. Because if you don't fit in with that mold, you're cancelled. The cancel culture is pushing us out in that sense. So there isn't a place to engage. Now, we've got to realize that um, we're wrestling against, there's a spiritual war going on, and that is what we're wrestling with. And so Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says, But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Now that thing, in all things, means be calm and collective. Don't get stressed out, don't be anxious, but be watchful. Um, but be collected in the Spirit, you know. There's a, there's a sense in which you know God's still working what He needs to do. And then he says, Endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so we need to discern the times, but also, as I was reading Acts, and I want to go there quickly, because we also need to discern the objects of their worship. Every generation even has an object of worship. So let's go there. Acts 17, I want to first read from 22 and 23. 
It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found the altar of the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And uh, so Paul goes into this into Athens, and he's waiting, I think it was for Silas and Timothy, if I remember correctly. And uh, while he's there, Paul doesn't sit still. Paul's the kind of guy who's always looking for opportunities to, to preach the gospel. That's Paul. And he's, he's busy doing some sightseeing. He's looking at the town, and he sees they're full of idols. And while he's there, he begins to talk. And uh, so these guys take Paul to a place where they have debates, where they have philosophical reasoning happening. And, uh, and Paul goes there. And uh, just in this place of the Areopagus, he begins this debate. He kind of begins to speak the gospel. Because especially when new things would come, they would go there first. And the guys would reason with it. And, and Christianity was a new thing in Athens. They didn't know it, that it was new. And so Paul knew that this was going to be a place where he could lay a platform of preaching the gospel. But he says to them, I perceive that you're very religious. Now some versions will say you're very superstitious or you're fear-driven. That religious doesn't quite carry the, the word correctly, but that you're superstitious. In other words, you've got all these idols. This is Paul recognizing. And, he, you know, if you think of the Greeks, you know... I mean, they had hundreds of idols, and it looks, from our side, it can look primitive. But I want you to think of something. I want you to understand this. Every idol that the Greeks had, had a train of thought. It wasn't just an idol that they worshipped. Every idol carried a train of thought. It carried a philosophy. It carried an ideology. That's where you get the word idol. It's, it's an ideology. It's a certain way of thinking, a certain belief. And so, when, so let's take, for instance, the God of love. What's that? Uh, Eros, or I think it's Eros. The, the Roman was a Cupid. <laughs> but now you've got this God of love, but all of a sudden there's arguments, there's fights, there's bickering, there's wars. So you can't just have a God. You've got to have another God, right? Because otherwise your life just seems inconsistent. You know, I believe this, but why is there this? You know, so you've got to have another God that you create because to keep life consistent, to keep things, um, what's the word? Um, coherent, if I can use that word. And so you can have the God of war now because there's arguments, there's fights, there, and that would be, um, I think it's Eris. Eris was the God of war. Uh, in fact, that's actually where, where Paul was preaching, was the heel of Eris, which is the God of war. It was, it was given to him. Some, some of the versions, the Roman God of, of war was Mars. So that's where you get the word Mars Hill. That's where Paul was preaching, was Mars Hill. And so so anyway, so when Paul, you see, so you've got these, these different beliefs. And so when Paul says, you know, there's one God, how, how, you, you and I think, oh, well, okay, there's one God. But think of these guys. How does, how does this come into place? How is there a consistency to what I believe? There's love, there's argument, there's war, there's all these things. And you're saying there's one God, Paul? doesn't make sense. wouldn't if I was in their culture. And so for them, there's an inconsistency in that. And, uh, but I want to say it's the same for us, you know. We, we look at this and we think, doesn't make sense. But I want to I look a little bit deeper because 
The same way these guys had all, all these gods, we too have idols. We too have things of worship, uh, things that exalts itself against the Lord. And we can make a shrine. We can, we can build uh, sanctuaries around certain beliefs that we have. And just because they're here doesn't mean they're not there. They're in us and we worship them. We have certain ideologies, certain idols that we have created. And we fall under those things. Now, you might say, well, Benny, I'm a Christian. I'll give my life to the Lord. Let me tell you, every single one of us have an area of brokenness in us. And in that brokenness, there's a way in which we view God, the way we view people, the way we minister, everything is out of that brokenness. A, a good example, I was reading a book. It was quite a while back when, when the World Trade Center went down. And, and just to give you an understanding, when the World Trade Center went down, they built a monument in to all the people that died. It was called Ground Zero. And, and in the time that they did this, there was this mosque that the people were, were wanting to build very close to, to that Ground Zero. Now, at that time, there was a lot of tension between, you know, the Christian, the Americans, and the Muslim, you know, the, the, the non-Christians, the Muslims. And uh, I remember reading the New York, New York Times, and... Uh, and on the heading, it says, how, how close is too close to build a mosque near Ground Zero? And you know, I thought of that. As I read that, I thought, yo, it really makes sense because here are these people. I mean, you think of it. You lose a loved one because someone's got a belief in some ideology and it's revolving Islam and all that. Would you be sensitive to that, having someone build a mosque that would build close to what, you, you know, if you lost a loved one? There would be a sensitivity to that. And I think we all would battle with that. And uh, the reason I'm telling you this, in a sense, we, you know, through, our, through our traumas, through our pain, through our suffering at times, we can build a sanctuary. And say, so don't go any closer to this. Because this is where I've been hurt. This is where I have pain. And, uh, and so my question is, how close is too close for you? You know, when God wants to build his house, you know, or is the idols that, that we have. And, um, and so we all have my idols. It, it can be trauma. It can be things that we built shrines around. It can, be, it can be money. It can be cars. It can be your job. It can be your wife. It can be your kids. Anything can become an idol, really, in our lives. But I want to say, how do we deal with them? And so Paul's merging all these thoughts together. And then I, just the way he brings this, he says, I found an altar of this inscription, the unknown God. And so Paul uses this opportunity to discern their professed ignorance, their confession, that even though the Greeks, they're so knowledgeable about everything, but even they themselves acknowledge that there's a God that they don't even know. And the Greeks were proud of the fact that they knew a lot. But here Paul, Paul uses this as an entry point to preach the gospel. And uh, it reminds, you know, to the unknown God. It kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you... There was this um, story I remember reading about this one guy who was unsaved, and he went to Vietnam, and he didn't know, you know, what religion he should be before he goes to war. And, uh, and so he wore this uh, Star of David and the Star and Crescent and this uh, Buddha and this Indian arrowhead, and his sergeant came to him and says, what are you doing? What, what are you wearing? He says, no, I believe. And... Uh, the sergeant said, well, what do you believe in? Because I can't make out from him. He says, I don't know, but I can't afford to make anybody mad. And I want to make sure that 
I come out of this wall. But the reason, and the reason I'm saying that, you know, the Greeks were superstitious. And so they wanted to make sure that they had everything covered. And so they've got all these idols, and just in case they've missed one, they've got another one, and it's dedicated to the unknown God. And so Paul, Paul uses this as an opportunity to minister to them. He uses this moment of ignorance to capitalize to bring the gospel. And, um, and I want to say, too, you might look at this and say, well, isn't Paul a crowd pleaser here? Isn't he seeker-sensitive at this moment? Because... I mean, you think of it, what Paul is doing here is actually not according to the Scripture. Because you can go and read in Exodus 20, verses 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above, all that is in the earth beneath, all that is in the waters and under the earth. I mean, Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will give to no other, and my praise to carved images. You say, Paul, what are you doing? You just made a carved image. You just taken God and brought him into this little image and say, well, this is God. No. So I want you to think about this because these people were already worshipping an unknown God. So Paul didn't make this image. It was already there. It was already, because he says in verse 23, therefore the one whom you worship. So he acknowledges that these guys are already in this place of worship without knowing him I proclaim to you. And so he uses an entry point. And I think this is where we've got to be careful because we don't get, you know, Paul, when he preached the gospel, he was very fluid in his style and approach. The gospel never changes. But can I say, Paul did in many times. He says, to the Romans, I'm a Roman. To the Greeks, I'm a Greek. To the slave, I'm a, you know. To, why? He says, for the point of bringing the gospel. And uh, Paul always kept the focal point, the right thing, the focal point being the gospel. And, um, and so, yeah, <clears throat> you guys still with me? <laughs> and so Paul's basically entry point was in their ignorance. And I think, you know, and I think that's the thing. When we engage with a culture, we've got to be constantly listening to people. How are you going to know where they feel that they're ignorant if you can't engage, you know, listen to them and hear what they're saying? There's going to be times that you're going to be ministering to someone and they're going to say, I don't know. Actually, there's that, that part of my life, I just, I don't know. And that's what you've got to be listening to. Don't always try and give the answer. Listen. That is key to bringing the gospel. Often think of how God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I realize that just in that, it's in those moments that, of what people don't know, that they're open to the gospel. And that's when God can come in. There's no resistance. Have you ever, someone who's already got certain beliefs, certain convictions, they've already solidified certain things, but ignorance opens a door. Okay, their convictions of what they know is already there. Even if it's wrong, it's still a conviction, and you can't just change a conviction because it's rooted in your conscience. And so, so Paul carries on, and he brings an entry point in from verse 24. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in a temple made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath to all things. Now, I want you to understand this. Paul is merging all these thoughts together, like I said. It's not just bringing these gods and saying, well, there's only one God now. There isn't all these gods. There's only one. He's merging ideas. He's merging thoughts. But I, I want you to think about this, because our world can actually look at that and think, well, 
This doesn't make sense. I mean, how often do you, do you see people say, well, how can a good God, how can a loving God, how can a righteous God allow evil if He's all-powerful and all-knowing? Isn't that a common question that people ask? Well, that's what, they, that's what people ask today. I'm sure that must have been the thoughts that they were thinking at that time. Yeah, Paul, this doesn't make sense. I mean, at least when we had all these gods, they would each answer for their own, their own reasoning. But now you're telling us there's one. How do we engage with the people that ask those kind of questions? How do we answer them? You know, that, that God, who is all-powerful, yes, He is righteous, He is loving, but He doesn't come and infringe on your will. That He still allows you to be who you are. And he, even though He knew that Adam was going to sin, He still allowed the processes to happen. The fact that you are born, he allows that. He knew we were going to all be sinners. God knew. even, But he allowed the process because he's a God of, he allows free will. And God never came and violated our free will. Can you believe it? That's the amazing thing about God. Even though he knew that it was going to cost him his son at the end of the day. Even though he knew it would bring heartache and pain. He didn't infringe on our free will. Isn't that amazing? But he knew one day that he would send his son and his son would redeem us. And we would also have a will. And that will would be to choose him or not. Choose life or death. Choose salvation. Choose Christ. And so we see the grace of God come in. And and just without violating our our free will and our dignity, he, he still sees us individuals. And yet he creates a way out for us. It's amazing. Our God is amazing. We don't realize it. So we need to discern uh, the ignorance, but also we also need to discern God's love for them. And I strongly believe this is really picking up the heart of God in the moment. Because <clears throat> like I said before, we can, we can share the gospel, we can share, we can open up scripture and expound on it, but at the end of the day, do you love the people that you're ministering to? And this is where the heart of God comes in. It's where we've got to hear his heart. And this is the spirit that does that. To hear his heart. And I love the way Paul brings it in verse 26. He says, and he made from one blood. Uh, yeah, from verse 26, let me read that. Um, and he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, God's appointed us in a place and a time, and he says, the reason I've done that, the reason I've put you there, because somehow, somehow you're going to seek me in that. I've appointed you there. You know, it's like, be satisfied, that's where I put you, because in that I want you to come to me, and that you seek me, and that you find me. So Paul acknowledges that for them. He says, you know, God, he takes this cosmic God that they're so used to thinking and he brings him down to a personal level. He's saying, this God wants to seek you. He wants, he wants you to find him. It's like he hides himself, not so he can't be found, so that he can be found, but there's, there's something in, as you seek him, that you find him. There's something in that pursuit for him, that you long for him, that you love him, that you, that you want him. And, uh, and so that's what Paul articulates in that. He says, therefore, since we are his offspring, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped with the art of man's devising. 
Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands men everywhere to repent. And so Paul doesn't minimize the fact that they have to come to that place of repentance in order to, to receive him. It needs to be, and he says he's not like the objects that you normally worship. Your carved images, your, the things that you normally pursue. He's not like that. He's a God that loves you, but you still need to repent. You need to get rid of those ways because your ways are far distant to who he is. And in that, there's a place of repentance. And then he brings judgment to them. He says, you know, if you, this is why we do it, because the one whom you're repenting to is going to come back and he's going to judge. And verse 31, he says, because he has appointed a day of which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance to this, uh, to this, to all by raising him from the dead. He's saying, look, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to be the righteous judge. But he's also your assurance. And be assured that he's going to come back to judge. But the thing is, have you received him? That the judgment passes over you. You know, as we receive Christ, it's like the lamb. You know, if we read in Israel how the, the, the angel passed over. It's the same with us. As we receive Christ, it's like God's judgment is passed over us. We don't have to bear that. Bearing the anger, bearing the justice of God. And the anger of God. Isn't that amazing that God has given us that? And so when we bring the gospel, church, we need to bring that. We need to be discerning of those things. And so I want to encourage you, even tonight as a church, that we, we hold these things, we hold these principles, we hold that we work with God, that we co-labor with the Holy Spirit. But this is our job. This is what we call to. It's to the lost. And so just, yeah, just in closing, I just want to, just seize a moment, because I also want to say, I don't, I don't know everybody here, but maybe you haven't given your life to the Lord. Maybe you haven't acknowledged that He is actually Lord. If that's you tonight, I want to ask you, while the rest of us close our eyes now, I want to ask you to stick up your hand. I want you to receive Him. I want, you know, I want every single one of us to come to the acknowledgement that He is Lord, because He loves us. He died for us. But we can't do it in our own strength. You will never be righteous. The scripture says all our, 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 our works are filthy rags before a holy God. And you know what? This holy God is coming one day. And as scripture says now, as we've just read, Paul says it's a guarantee that he's coming back. Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back as a righteous judge. Is there anybody here that's never given your life to the Lord? Just while everybody's closed their eyes... Today is the day to receive him. Today is the day of salvation. Don't miss this opportunity. Like Paul says, he's here and he's placed you here and, he, and his desire is that you seek him, that you find him. Thank you, Lord. Also feeling just for the rest of us. Just hold on. As Stephen just brought to me, he just felt for some of us, it's, it's just a time that some of us are called to a recommitment with the Lord. You've given your life to the Lord, but you know you've just grown cold. You've left Him. You've moved away. It's like Paul says, you, you started in the faith, but then you drifted. You started running in the flesh. 
there's anybody here that just feels like that, that, you know, you, you're just going through the motions. You made the commitment a while back, but you know what? You're not there. You're not in love with him anymore. You've lost your first love, as he shares in Galatians. So anybody here? Thank you, Lord. And then the rest of us, I just felt, just as we, as we just hear what, what the Scripture says, that, that the Holy Spirit would just give us people that, that He's put across our paths, that we acknowledge that He's busy with. And in doing so, there's a discernment that God's calling us to. It's a discernment of the times that we're in. And as we acknowledge that person, there's a discernment of the time that they're in. And there's a discernment of the objects of they, what they worship. That there would be a discernment of ignorance, Lord, that, that, that we would see what they don't know. But Lord, that in the way we bring the gospel, that we would carry your love. And there would be discernment for your love for that person. And so, Lord, I want to pray even tonight that as you commission us to go, I pray that every person that you put on our hearts, that you would create a space, Lord, a divine moment, a divine opportunity that we can go and witness your gospel. I pray for a boldness within your saints, Lord, that we won't be a people who hold back to give the whole counsel of God, but that we would be a people that are willing to proclaim your gospel. Even as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Lord, uh, just to acknowledge that we can bring people to salvation because of you working through us. Lord, I pray that we'd carry the weight of that thing, the weight of the gospel, the weight of knowing that you've entrusted us this precious thing of the gospel. And it's as, as if God imploring through us to bringing people to salvation. And so, Lord, I want to pray for a commissioning tonight for your church, that we would go with a hunger and a thirst, as, even as you said, Jesus, you, you looked at the crowds, you looked at the multitudes, and you, you, you grieved over them because you saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, as we bring them back into the fold, as we bring people to salvation, we bring them into the household of God. We bring them into the family. We bring them to the flock of the chief shepherd being you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I pray for opportunities, even this week, that people come back with a good report because it's a people that have trusted in you, that their faith in what you've called them to, Lord, would stir their hearts, Lord, that the Spirit would work through that faith, Lord Jesus, as they go and be a witness in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Thanks, guys. It's good. Fellowship afterwards. Let's connect.